0: Open up to Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that so many of us could brave the weather and be here this morning. But we also understand those who stayed home. So I ask that you watch over those who are... Joining us in some shape, form, or fashion through live stream, as best as that technology can help us join each other, we're thankful for that. Uh, And Lord, I pray that you would get us home safely, as roads could still be slick, as snow could still be bright and blinding. I pray that you would get us home safely, and I pray for those who are not clothed in a warm room the way we are right now, the way so many people in our church are as they watch from home. I ask that you... Protect people made in your image from the brutal cold that we have coming the next few days. And I pray you'd be with us as we study your word, Uh, as we pick apart one single verse. I pray that we would not underestimate how much you have to teach us from just a single verse of your inspired word. Uh, Help us be attentive, give us open hearts and open minds, and... As we said last week, as Jesus says so often, let us have ears to hear what you have to say from just a few short words. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First things first. Why do we even call this collection of sayings the Beatitudes? The word Beatitude is inspired by the first word that occurs in all nine of these sayings. And that word is blessed. Here, the word blessed has to do with a general state of goodness. Other translations include words like happy, favored, privileged, or even something like fortunate. The people included in these Beatitudes are blessed in the sense that they find themselves in an enviable situation. They are in a desirable position. They're simply in a good place to be. And that makes the words which follow the Beatitudes that much more ironic. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. But before we move ahead in verse 3, how, for better or for worse, do we typically understand the word blessed? One decent understanding of being blessed is having a sense of gratitude for God putting us in a good place in life, even if we can see that life isn't perfect all the time. For example, a new parent considers him or herself blessed, even when the baby cries at the most inconvenient time, nobody in the house is sleeping well, and they haven't showered in three days. While some parts of having a baby are hard, in the big scheme of things, those parents can still sit back and recognize how blessed they are to be in that position. That's a pretty decent understanding of what Jesus is getting at in the Beatitudes. Or we might understand the word blessed as God rewarding us for our amazing faith or our diligent obedience we think to ourselves that everything is going according to plan. I'm scratching God's back, and he's scratching mine. And as long as I keep up my end of the deal, he'll uphold his. He'll keep blessing me, and all will be well. Well, as you can probably tell, I don't think that's the best way to understand blessing. For all kinds of reasons. But maybe the cheapest, most shallow, most harmful way to think of blessing is to reduce it down to physical health, material wealth, and worldly success. We're tempted to assume, perhaps because of the glamorous pictures someone posts on social media, that if a person is healthy wealthy, and successful, then they must be doing something right in God's eyes. They are obviously blessed. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Of course, that also means that we're forgetting the numerous biblical references to how the righteous may suffer while the wicked prosper. These beatitudes can and should inform our understanding of what it means to be blessed. Better yet, they can and should directly challenge our particularly unhelpful assumptions about what blessing looks like. But that brings us to the words that follow that first word. In verse 3, our beatitude of the morning we read that the poor in spirit are the ones who are blessed. Now, how in the world does that make any sense? And what does the phrase poor in spirit even mean? When we read the words poor in spirit, our minds may immediately jump to economic, physical, or even social poverty. And while that sort of poverty may be part of what Jesus has in mind, especially when we consider Luke's version of this beatitude in just a little bit, being poor in spirit isn't just about not having money, not having possessions, or not having social standing. It's about more than that. Some argue that being poor in spirit is just another way of saying humble. And while humility is a good start, it isn't quite enough. The most hardened atheist can be humble. You don't have to be a disciple of Jesus to be humble. So if being poor in spirit isn't only about lacking riches, lacking stuff, or lacking power, and if it's more than just general humility, then what is it? Being poor in spirit is recognizing our need for God's help. It's acknowledging that we are in a place of complete, utter, and total dependence upon God for everything that is worth having. Now, maybe some positive biblical examples will help us make sense of what it means to be poor in spirit. First, consider King David. In Psalm 51, as David repents of his sin against Uriah and Bathsheba, David expresses humility. Again, that's a good start. But he also clearly articulates his need for God's help, especially in verses 7 through 12. David needs a kind of forgiveness, cleansing, and restoration that only God can provide. David certainly was not poor in the typical sense at that point in his life. He had plenty of health, wealth, and power. But David was poor in spirit, in that he recognized his need for God's help. Or think of the Roman centurion of Luke chapter 7. This man's daughter is on her deathbed, So he sends a messenger to ask Jesus to heal her, ask Jesus for help. Now, the local Jews talk this centurion up. They praise him for all the loyalty that he's shown them and the bones he's thrown them. I mean, if there's anyone who deserves a favor from Jesus, it's this guy. But the centurion of all people strikes a very different tone. In verses 6 and 7. He does not think so highly of himself. But thinks very highly of Jesus. And in the end, Jesus marvels at his faith. And raises his daughter from the dead. This unlikely Gentile was poor in spirit. Or as a final positive example, consider the Apostle Paul. His religious resume was sparkling. But in Philippians 3, he says that he is willing to lose it all. Consider it rubbish for the sake of gaining Christ. Through Jesus, God has offered sinners like Paul a kind of help that no other hoops Paul jumped through could ever get him. Paul came to know that God had something he wanted, needed, and could get from no one else. And that was resurrection from the dead by faith in Christ's righteousness over his own. He was poor in spirit. Again, to be poor in spirit is not just material poverty. It's more than general humility. It's a recognition of one's need for God's help. And for the sake of clarity, maybe a few negative biblical examples could be helpful too. In 2 Kings 5, a man named Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, comes to the prophet Elisha for help. Naaman had leprosy and desperately wanted to be healed. But Naaman pridefully refused the help that God offered him. He only wanted healing on his terms. Now, thankfully, Naaman did eventually change his tune and obeyed God and was healed. But his initial reluctance is an example of what being poor in spirit does not look like. Or there's the infamous Pharisee of Luke chapter 18. When this man prays to God, he sounds arrogant, self-righteous, and judgmental. The lowly tax collector praying beside him is a better example of being poor in spirit than the righteous Pharisee. And the tax collector, not the respected religious leader, goes home justified. And finally, there's the group of men condemned in James chapter four, these men have big plans, audacious dreams and grand aspirations, and they don't recognize their need for God's help. They are not poor in spirit because they think they're invincible. These examples are warnings of what being poor in spirit is not. It's to be prideful Arrogant, and to fail to see our utter destitution apart from God. It's to assume that we are self-sufficient. So then, we have a general idea of what it means to be blessed in this verse. We also, for our purposes today, have a working definition of what it means to be poor in spirit. But that now raises the question, How do these two things fit together? Because it seems ironic, if not downright contradictory, that someone who is in such dire need that only God himself could help them would possibly be called blessed. Doesn't seem to make sense, does it? After all, the best situation that we can find ourselves in is One where we already have everything we need, and then some. We're happy when we've got things all figured out on our own, aren't we? We're in a place of privilege when we have every possible contingency plan in place. We consider ourselves truly fortunate when we finally reach a position where we don't have to depend upon anyone but ourselves. Not even God. That's how many of us view blessing. If we're being totally honest. But that's not what it means to be blessed. According to Jesus. In the Beatitudes. And especially in this foundational Beatitude. There is more to being blessed than meets the eye. That's because there's more to life Than just this world as we currently see it. Why and how are the poor in spirit blessed? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To recognize our need for God's help. And to know that we've received that help through Jesus Christ. To look forward to his rule and reign, both now and in eternity, is ultimately the most blessed place to be. The world may not even begin to understand how believers in Jesus, especially if we lack all the trappings of worldly health, wealth, and success, could possibly consider ourselves to be in a good place. But to be a disciple of Jesus now, and an eternal citizen of the kingdom of heaven, is the most blessed place we could be. But, practically speaking, how do we become poor in spirit? Well, the obvious theological answer is by the power of the Holy Spirit, in a work of God's grace. Through the testimony of God's Word. But where the rubber meets the road, there may be a few other useful practices that can help us recognize our need for God's help. The first one is to consider your finitude. Consider your finitude. You are finite. You have limitations. You don't know everything won't do everything, and can't be everything. We need God's help because we are definitively not God. He's infinite, and we are finite. Second, consider your frailty. No matter how well we think we've got things figured out, or how many contingency plans we have in place, There's one thing we can't overcome, and we probably know what it is. It's death. We need God's help with every heartbeat and every breath because we are frail. And third, consider your fallenness. To recognize our need for God's help is to recognize ourselves as sinners. We have rebelled against the God who gave us life. And that same God is the only one who can save us from eternal death. Why? Because we are fallen. If we can admit those things, that we are finite, we are frail, and we are fallen, we are on our way to becoming poor in spirit. And when the poor in spirit turn to God for help, the poor in spirit are blessed. But also practically speaking, what might hinder us from becoming poor in spirit? What obstacles exist? Again, there are some obvious answers here. Worldly power, the hype of human progress, or sinful pride. But another hindrance deserves special mention because of the emphasis that Luke puts on it in his record of the Beatitudes. And that hindrance is wealth or possessions. In Luke chapter 6, verse 20, the phrase is not poor in spirit. It's just the word poor. And if there's any confusion about what Luke is getting at here, read what he says in the corresponding woe a few verses later. In verse 24, he specifically singles out the rich. There's no guesswork there. We would be foolishly and naively burying our heads in the sand if we didn't acknowledge how dangerous wealth and possessions can be when it comes to making us something other than poor in spirit. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God warned the newly freed Israelites against forgetting him once they inherited all the rewards of the promised land. When they have houses they didn't build and cisterns they didn't dig and trees and vineyards and crops that they didn't plant. When they get those things, they will be tempted to forget him and if those forms of wealth and possessions can cause the israelites <clears throat> excuse me can cause the israelites to forget their need for god's help then our wealth and possessions can cause us to do the same and one final practical question what can we learn about being poor in spirit From Jesus Himself. In Philippians two, verses five through eleven, Paul shows us that Jesus became poor in spirit, primarily in his incarnation and his crucifixion. He humbled himself, took on flesh, and became obedient to the point of death on a cross. God the Son, Jesus Christ. Voluntarily put himself in a position of vulnerability and need for the sake of our salvation. And in the end, Jesus was ultimately helped and exalted by his father in his resurrection and ascension. His was the kingdom of heaven. And when he returns, every knee will bow and every tongue confess his kingship. And as sinners, we too are in a position of vulnerability and need. But with God's help, by faith in this incarnate, crucified, and exalted Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is ours as well. You know, being poor in spirit may not sound like the best way to get ahead in the world. And that's because it's not. If you want to do that, get ahead in the world. Don't be poor in spirit. Be confident. Be assertive. Be competent. Be independent. Be self-sufficient. But keep in mind that being poor in spirit is the way of Jesus' disciples. We recognize our need for God's help, provided for us through Christ. And thanks to Jesus Christ. Even though we may not always look all that blessed by the world standards, the kingdom of heaven is ours. And that is the most blessed place that we could possibly be. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And Lord, help us to be poor in spirit. Teach us to grow day in and day out in our sense of dependence upon you. To recognize that we don't just need your help when the you-know-what hits the fan. We don't just need your help when things go wrong, when crises arise. We need your help every moment of every day. We are finite. We are frail. We are fallen. We don't know what will happen an hour from now. We have no guarantees that our brains or our lungs or our hearts will function 30 minutes from now. We are so dependent upon you in so many ways that we take for granted. And Lord, help us recognize that. Help us be poor in spirit And seeing that we need your help more than we understand. That's especially true as we take an honest look at our sin. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. There is no hoop we can jump through. There is no sacrifice we can offer. There is no good deed we can perform to save ourselves. We are totally dependent upon your help for our salvation. Lord, help us recognize that. Help us become poor in spirit, but help us also take the next step and see the help that you have provided through Christ. Because it's through him, through your son, Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is ours. So, Lord, again, thank you for that help. Thank you that we are not just helpless, but that you have helped us through your son, Christ. We praise you. We glorify you. We worship you. We ask this all in his name.